morning, Chapel Hill, and happy <clears throat> Mother's Day to all to whom that applies. It's great to be back in the pulpit with you after being gone for a couple of weeks of vacation. Two weeks ago, I headed back to North Carolina with my wife, Cindy. I sit on the board of Montreat College where my daughter serves, and we had the bonus of being able to hang out with her a little bit. And so the three of us took on a brand new adventure that we had never done before, the drag races. How many of you have been to a drag race? The rest of you don't know what you're missing, am I right? This was the National Hot Rod Association event held in Z-Max Dragway in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is the first four-car-wide concrete drag strip that was ever built in the country. It seats 30,000 fans, and it was a very American experience. That's the outfit I'm going to have Pastor Ellis wear on the 4th of July. <laughs> this place was amazing. They raced pro stock. They raced funny cars. They raced motorcycle, drag motorcycles that went over 200 miles per hour. The motorcycles did. But the high point for sure was what they call top fuel. They call them nitro. Four cars side by side, and they, they burn nitromethane fuel in their 11,000 horsepower Hemi V8 engine. I went to the starting line and made two new good friends, Bob and Rob. Of course, they had to be Bob and Rob there in the South, and they knew everything about this event. So the cars line up, and there you'll see the blue lights on the Christmas tree. That's the starting lights. When the blue lights are, are lit, that means that they're in their starting position. They're staged and then the amber lights flash, and then the green light goes, and off they go. And I have never heard or felt anything like the sound and the power of those nitro engines blasting off from the, the starting line. It was concussive. It knocked you back. That brief race, at less than four seconds, is so violent that they rebuild the engines after every race. And they do it in an hour. It was awesome. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Mark, this is a fascinating story, and you've told it very well, of course, but shouldn't you have saved this for Father's Day? After all, this is Mother's Day. Top Fuel Drag Racing isn't exactly an appropriate opener for a Mother's Day sermon. To which I reply, au contraire! I was present at the following race that you're going to watch here in just, in just a moment. It set a new track record, and I want to see I want to see if you can notice something perhaps interesting about the winner of this race. Take a look. That's better. That's solid. 366 for Justin Ashley. Nice try. 365. Hey, Z-Max, how about 336 miles an hour? Brittany Force goes to the top. 336 miles per hour in 1,000 feet. And did you catch the name of the winner? Brittany Force. What a perfect name for a race car driver, right? A force to be reckoned with. Brittany is a two-time NHRA national champion. In fact, more and more women are making it big in drag racing. And I was curious, why is that? And so I talked to my new best friend, Bob. And Bob pointed over to the starting point, and he said, it's the tree. 
Women have a faster reaction time to the lights than the men. I think they speak faster than the men, too. <laughs> Perhaps I shouldn't have been blown away, but I was by the fact that this young woman is dominating in this traditionally male event. So there you go. Happy Mother's Day on that one. And <laughs> this morning we're continuing in our study through Luke, and actually this account features a similarly shocking revelation. We discover a woman who is making her name in what was viewed as a historically male setting. And it may not seem that shocking to you, but I assure you that at the time it would have been an absolute eye-opener. So my challenge to you as I read this passage is see if you can spot the shocking moment, okay? We're in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. So did you spot the surprise? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The cross awaits him there. This is his final journey before his death. And they stop at a, 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 a little village just outside of Jerusalem. It's called Bethany. We don't know that from this story, but we know it from other gospel accounts. And he stops at the house of Martha and her siblings. You might know Martha's brother's name because it comes from a very familiar story in the gospel of John. His name is Lazarus. Remember what Jesus did for Lazarus? He raised him from the dead. So yeah, that's this family. And these three siblings, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, were dear friends and supporters of and basically the base of operations for Jesus when he was ministering in Jerusalem. And it is there in Martha's house that something rather shocking occurred. And I wonder if you saw it. I'll give you a hint. It's in verse 39. Let me read it again. And Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. What's surprising about that? Well, those are words, precise words that would be used to describe the relationship between a rabbi and his disciple. Sitting at the feet of, listening to the teaching of, is what a disciple of a rabbi did. And why is this shocking? Because rabbis never had women disciples. At the time of Jesus, this was unheard of. It was men and men alone who studied the Torah. And women were expected to do, well, essentially what Martha was doing. Keep the house, prepare the meals, provide hospitality, so that the men could focus on the much more important work of studying the Bible, which the women were not capable of doing. 
In fact, it wasn't just unusual for a woman to study the law, it was considered scandalous. Professor Jim Edwards quotes an ancient rabbi who once taught, if any man gives his daughter a knowledge of the law, it is as though he taught her sexual immorality. Wow. So we immediately understand something about Mary, that she is strong and devoted. She's kind of a trailblazer. She's a Brittany force of the time. She loved the Lord. She was welcomed as His disciple. She looked for ways to express her devotion to Him. In fact, in John 12, right after the story of Lazarus, they have a banquet, a banquet to celebrate the resurrection of Brother Lazarus. And it was Mary who anointed Jesus' feet. Remember this story? With very expensive perfume that would have cost one year's wages. And then she wiped that oil from the Lord's feet with her hair. Do you remember that? So it's, it's pretty incredible, actually. And, and we get it. Mary is an awesome, groundbreaking pioneer woman of faith. An example of discipleship and devotion to be emulated, to be admired. But she gets all the attention. And this passage isn't about Mary, actually. She is mentioned incidentally. It is really about Martha. Mar Jesus drops in on Martha, on Martha's house, probably unannounced. That's what men do. On his way to Jerusalem, he came to Martha's home, and that means that she would have been responsible for everything that happened there. And the bulk of the story that I just read is really about how Martha prepares a wonderful feast to honor Jesus, while her sister is sitting among the male disciples hanging on Jesus' every word and doing nothing to help. Martha gets mad and resentful, and she tattles on her sister. She urges Jesus to, to tell Martha to get to work. And then she receives what seems to be a rebuke from the Lord because he says Mary is doing the better thing, presumably the better thing that Martha should have been doing, which was sitting at his feet and absorbing his teaching. When the wife of one of my life group leaders heard that this was our study and the sermon for this Mother's Day she said to her husband, and I quote, Yuck! I hate that story of how great Mary is and how awful Martha is. She continues, and I quote, Mary, get your butt up and help your sister. The church, she says, literally runs on Martha's. Do you know that? She said to her husband, the church wouldn't run without Martha's. Any of you women... Can I identify with what she said? I'm not a woman, woman, and I identify with what she said. I am more of a Martha than a Mary by temperament. I want to get things done. I want to act. I don't want to sit and contemplate, and I get irked by unproductive people. So, Mary good, Martha bad. Is that what this story is teaching? It's certainly the way the church has interpreted it in many circles over the centuries. In the early years of the church, some Christians considered this an allegory. Mary represented the Christian who was saved by grace, while Martha represented the Jews who could not be saved by works. Mary represented the mature, contemplative lifestyle, and Martha was the immature, frenetic, active lifestyle. Mary good, Martha bad.
Well, I think Martha has gotten a bum rap over the centuries. And I think this passage has been horribly misused. So I'm going to stand up for Martha this morning, even as I try to receive the correction that Jesus intended for her and all of us Martha types. So are you ready? I'm going to stand up for Martha. First of all, Martha was also a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Not just Mary. Martha was too. In fact, I think Martha was like a female Peter. She was devoted. She was strong. She was independent. She was fearless. And she sometimes said things that I'll bet later on she wished she hadn't said, just like Peter. For instance, in that Lazarus story I was telling you about, Jesus received word that his friend Lazarus was dying, but he didn't make it back in time, and by the time he arrived, Lazarus was already dead and buried. Nevertheless, when the word came to her house that Jesus was drawing near, it was Martha who went looking for him while Mary stayed behind. It was Martha who chastised Jesus for his tardiness, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus ordered that the stone be rolled away from the mouth of the tomb, it was Martha who reminded him, just because he might have forgotten this, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Or as the King James Version puts it, Lord, he stinketh. For he had been dead four days. Martha thinks she knows better than Jesus at times and is not afraid to tell him so. Does that not sound like impetuous Peter? But more importantly, listen to this. In that same conversation, Martha also says to Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Doesn't that sound like Peter's great confession of faith at Caesarea Philippi where Jesus said, where Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Almost exactly what she says. And at that time, Peter, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, blessed are you because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. Well, if he revealed that to Peter, then surely he must have revealed it to Martha as well who said of Jesus, you are the Christ. I think she's a female Peter. I think she believed in Jesus. She loved Jesus. She felt the need to, at times, protect Jesus from himself. It's always dangerous when you do that, but she tried. She was strong and opinionated and not afraid to speak her mind. My wife pointed out to me as we were talking about this text, while Mary was back weeping in the house, Martha was out looking for Jesus. So what's not to admire about that kind of strong, active courageous discipleship. Martha was a disciple of Jesus too. Here's the second thing. Martha's service was how she expressed her devotion to Christ. Hospitality was a big deal in the Middle East. It still is, but a particularly big deal back then. This was her home. When Jesus popped in, perhaps unannounced, she felt the responsibility to honor him with a feast worthy of him. And remember that other feast I mentioned in John 12, the one that celebrated the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead? Guess who threw that party too? It was Martha. And while brother Lazarus was reclining at the table, and sister Mary was anointing the Jesus' feet with oil, guess what Martha was doing? Serving. As my friend's wife said, we need Marthas to do the work of the church. 
I think of two of the queens of hospitality here at Chapel Hill, Sandy and, and Sheila. What would we be without women and men who get stuff done? Service is one expression of discipleship. And in fact, according to Romans 12, service is actually one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This was Martha's gift, and she put it to use in her devotion as a disciple of Jesus. And then thirdly, this, I want to say this. I don't think it is accurate to say that Jesus rebuked Martha when she came to complain to him. And why not? Because of two words. Actually, the same word mentioned twice. Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. Do you chuckle a little bit when you hear Jesus saying that? Martha, Martha. I'm reminded of Jan in the Brady Bunch. Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. But actually, there's more to it than appears. There is something in Bible study that is called the repetition of endearment. The repetition of endearment. It means that when a name is used twice, it suggests a level of intimacy and love and understanding that is very, very deep. In all the Bible, there are only about 12 instances, a dozen instances, where this repetition of endearment occurs. Abraham, Abraham, says the angel of God, stopping him from driving this knife into his son uh, in, uh, to sacrifice his son Isaac. Or how about this one? Moses, Moses, God calls out to Moses from the burning bush. Or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, says Jesus, as the, he is walking along the Damascus road to persecute Christians. Or this one, perhaps the most profound of all, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The Lord Jesus as he hung on the cross. Every time a name is repeated in the Bible, it is an expression of deep affection and intimacy and understanding. When we hear Jesus say, Martha, Martha, we might assume he is chiding her. On the contrary, it was Jesus saying, Martha, Martha, expressing to her how dear she was to him, how much he understood her heart and valued her. Before he ever offered a word of correction, there was a sweetness and not a harshness to Jesus' words to Martha. These are the things I think we need to understand about Martha before we try to learn from her mistake. She was a strong disciple, a female Peter. She was fiercely loyal and protective and sacrificial in her service to the Lord and to His people. That's something. And she was dear to Him. So then what's the problem? What's the deal? Because clearly Jesus corrects her. What was Martha's issue? First of all, we are told that she was distracted with much serving. She was distracted with much serving. That word distracted means literally pulled or dragged away. She was dragged away from Jesus because of how much serving she was doing. And Jesus tenderly says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. One interpretation of this verse, and there's a lot of them, suggests that Jesus was actually making a word play on the feast that she was preparing. What he was saying, in other words, was, Dear Martha, you're trying to honor me by preparing a ten-course meal that one dish would have been enough. And then you would have had more time to spend 
with me, which is what I really want from you. Jesus wasn't saying don't prepare a meal. They had to eat. He seemed to be saying don't prepare such a complicated meal that it distracts from the most important thing, which is our relationship. It was distraction that was her error, not service. I spoke to my daughter Rachel. She is one of my favorite theologians about this text. And she said, Daddy, this is the quintessential passage for American Christians Because I don't think anybody is as distracted and anxious and overstimulated as we are. To that I would say amen. You know, Home Depot has a new logo. It goes like this. How doers get more done. Exactly what we need to hear, right? We're not doing enough. We need to get more done and Home Depot will help us do that. And Jesus seems to be saying, maybe you can do less. Maybe you could do a little less and have more time for me. Two of the guys in my life group commented, we are all studying, doing the Bible in one year together, and two guys said that that week they had missed a reading because they were too busy. And each one of them said, I noticed the difference in my attitude and in my relationships as a result on that day. We are already doers, most of us Americans. We don't need more done. We probably need to get a little less done, and more importantly, get the right things done. So perhaps that's one lesson. Could we do a little less? Could we slow down a little bit? Here's the second correction I think Jesus had for a dear, beloved Martha. It was a heart correction. Notice Martha only got in trouble when she tattled on her sister. Later in John 12, when we read that she is serving and Lazarus is reclining and Mary is anointing, none of that seems to bother her then. That happened later. I wonder if this experience taught her a lesson. Martha loved to serve. It was her passion. But then she could become resentful because others weren't working as hard as she was. And her motivation for her service began to sour and her heart became a little bitter. Any of you ever felt that way? Cindy and I, along with all of her siblings, and there's a bunch of them, just met down at her family cabin in Salt Lake City, or near Salt Lake, to do a deep cleaning of the cabin for her mom. And some of us worked really hard, and others, not so much. Lots of coffee breaks, and lots of chit-chatting, and lots of opinions, and not so much work. And it was easy to say, why don't you put that coffee down and come and clean the toilet? We don't need your advice. And it was easy to become embittered and forget that we are there as a service to her mom, not as a competition for who's working the hardest. Martha, Martha, Jesus says, don't get distracted. And don't get disgruntled. Don't get resentful. Do a little less. Save a little more time for me. And don't get bitter. I think that's Jesus' message to his beloved Martha. The bottom line is, I think we need a hybrid between the two. I'm married to a hybrid of the two. No one works harder than my Cindy. She is the hardest working woman. The other night we went to Cornerstones and the the dishwasher didn't show up. And unbeknownst to me, Cindy got up, went back, put on an apron and washed all the dishes for the feast. When we have guests over to our house, 
Cindy is cleaning stuff I don't even know needs cleaning. I have been told that men don't know what clean means. And yet every morning I find her in her mom's old pink wingback chair reading her Bible, doing her devotions, praying, and spending time with the Lord Jesus. My wife is an awesome hybrid. One of my friend's wives is named Mary Martha. Mary Martha. I said, was that an accident? He said, nope, it was really on purpose. Her parents were godly parents, and they wanted to raise a daughter who was devoted to Jesus and was also a hard-working servant of the Lord. And he said, and she is that, Mary Martha. I think we need more Mary Marthas. Some of us probably need to slow down and leave more time to listen to God. You'll have to pay attention to that. Although one friend of mine said, you know, I don't think I know a single young mom who is not a Martha. They have to be. But maybe there's a way to slow down. And honestly, on the other side of it, there are plenty of people in church who do plenty of listening and not much doing. They study and they worship, but they don't serve and they don't give. So maybe there's a correction that needs to take place there. That's the balance, isn't it? People who get stuff done but aren't so distracted, so pulled apart that they neglect their relationship with God and others, which in the end is the real meaning and purpose of life, right? Love God, love your neighbors. Mary, Martha, we need you both. In fact, we need to be both. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the example that we find in these two remarkable women. Mary, who as a trailblazer was sitting at your feet and soaking up everything you had to say and and received your praise that day for her devotion to you. But I thank you for Martha too, who served you, Lord, by, by preparing, by by cooking, by making it possible for those gatherings to take place. Lord, I, I pray that we would learn what we need to hear from this, that your spirit would stir us. And for those of us who we need to be a little bit more like Mary, maybe we'll slow down and give more time to you. We can do one less thing and do it a little less perfectly. Maybe there's some of us who need to be a little more like Martha, not let everyone else do the work, step up and make a difference. Lord, you know what that looks like and you, your spirit can make that happen in us. I just pray that you would do that so that we might be effective disciples of Jesus. And we pray it in his matchless name. Amen.
Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.